This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks. Hello and welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast. And as football gets back into full swing, we're here to guide you all the way through on the Trans Europe Express this week. My name is Jack Collins and as ever, I'm joined by Mr. Sam Tyler Rank God. Hello, mate. And of course, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you? Sam? I'm good. Thank you, young Jack. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoyed the fact that football came back with a vengeance this weekend. I mean, Fulham didn't do the business, sadly, against Arsenal, but Betis did in the Liga. So I'm very excited to looking at Spain, looking at Italy and looking at Germany as we work our way through this episode. But before that, it's time for hot takes. And I am throwing to you first, Mr. Samsai. Yeah, okay. So we need to talk about we need to talk about Brighton right back Tarek Lamptey. Because mm. the kid is awesome, isn't he? I mean, I watched all eight Premier League games over the course of the weekend because very, very handily they were scheduled. So I could do exactly that. And honestly, struggle to to list any any more than two players that impressed me more than Lamptey. And this is this is not just a, a one week thing. We saw him post lockdown playing for Brighton, having moved to uh, moved to Brighton from Chelsea in January. We saw him play pretty well, and this was another step. So I started counting in my head last night as he was playing. How many teams in the Premier League would he not genuinely improve already? And I basically decided that it's only Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Leicester whose first team or squad that he couldn't improve. I think he'd start for Wolves. I think he'd start for Everton. And he'd improve the rotation options at Arsenal and Spurs and literally everybody else. He has, and I checked it, nine Premier League games to his name. And I already think he's good enough to start for Wolves or Everton and improve Arsenal and Spurs overall squads. I mean, he's made quite the impression on me. And I'm wondering, has he made the same impression on you guys? I think the Twitter got very excited last night about Tarek Lamptey. And rightly so. I mean, he carries the ball beautifully, doesn't he? Mm. he the way that he, he looks to drive. And even when he cuts inside and, and dribbles, he, he's been such a delight to watch. And I think we saw this at, at youth level. And, and to see it spring in exactly the same way to the Premier League is always a joy. I think there's something also in the fact that he gambled on himself. He was like, I'm good enough. He's like, Chelsea aren't going to give me a chance. I'm good enough. I'm going. And is now kind of repaying that back already, you know, with the faith that Brighton showed in him. And, and suddenly you're like, OK, this is a very, very good right back. And another right back onto the England rotation, which is already stacked. I think Gary Lineker tweeted last night that if the world was a, a competition of just right backs, then England might actually win something. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's another one for that. But also just, I think, someone to keep an eye on this season and to be excited to watch. So, hmm. yeah, I'm also excited. Dean, what did you make of him? Yeah, I liked it a lot. What was what was most telling, really, was that a lot of my mates support Chelsea, as much as I hate to say that they are my mates. Um, <laughs> but even they were all, all messaging during the game, being like, this Lamptey kid's amazing. And, and half of them didn't actually realise that he was their player. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it says a lot about, you know, the quality, obviously, of Rhys James, um, that there was just going to be no path for him. You know, it's very unfortunate circumstances, really, for Lamptey. He's supposed to be this really, really nice kid, very grounded, totally professional. Brighton have got an absolute player there in him and um, a really good signing to make that kind of impact. Maybe he had extra motivation, I don't know, but whatever it was, worked for him yesterday and um, really look forward to seeing how he progresses throughout the season. This needs to act as a bit of a public service announcement, I think, to a lot of other clubs as well. We've seen over the last few years, the German clubs come in and take English teenagers and give them a, a pathway to go and play senior football in Germany. Well, Brighton have now gone and taken Tariq Lamptey for three million quid or so in January and given him an immediate route into the first team. And Lamptey is 19 years of age. He's played nine Premier League games and we're talking about him in such glowing terms. And for good reason, Jack, what you said about his, his dribbling ability really rings true for me. He can zigzag, he can interpret, he can go left and right he's such a natural ball carrier he's lightning fast and what this tells me I mean I know this because I've watched youth football but like there are other players like Tariq Lanthi stuck in the system in these top six teams we've seen German clubs come and take them now we've seen Brighton come and take one and now the rest of the Premier League from 10th down maybe even 8th down needs to go and take a look at all of those rosters and go okay who can we give a chance here because there's so much talent in there and Lamptey is just proof of that 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the fact that Conor Gallagher is in extended talks with, with West Brom, I think is, is further proof that this can happen. And he obviously showed his quality in the championship last year at Swansea and, and is now being courted, was being courted by Crystal Palace, but they've obviously moved for Michi Batshuayi uh, and now are, are being courted by West Brom. And I think that he will have enough to, to be excellent in the Premier League. And we saw Harry Wilson go out on loan to Bournemouth last season, et cetera, et cetera. It's a well-trodden path in a loan market, but also I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that they can actually pick up these players on permanent deals as well. I would just add, Sam, though, however, that one big game in the Premier League uh, and people were raving about Tarek Lambton. I tweeted last night when I, after Rhys James scored saying that Rhys James had been reading everybody's tweets about Tarek Lambton in the first half and that was his <laughs> response. But potentially... People get very excited, don't they, after, after one game, one good game, one bad game. And on the other flip of this, I suppose, was people writing off Kai Havertz after one game played in a position he has played before, admittedly, but not one where we've seen him thrive over, this, over the second half of the season. I think he played about the same amount of games for, for Leverkusen on the right and through the centre last season. And his golden assist output trebled when he was played through the middle. I wouldn't be writing off Kai Havertz just yet. And I've seen it extensively, even from Chelsea fans, which seems harsh. Oh. Yeah, maybe very upset. I mean, look, all three of us were moaning in the group chat, weren't we, about about the, uh, how Havertz was deployed, what Frank Lampard chose to do with him and, uh, and the reaction. I mean, Havertz has had, what, like a week at Chelsea, probably a cut-off pre-season. Then he goes off to Germany for international duty. Didn't feature in the first game. I don't, I'm not sure about the second one, but obviously didn't play a massive role. So he's going to be rusty. I mean... One, the, the one major takeaway from week one is ultimately on a team-wide level, expect everything to change in week two, like quite dramatically as fitness catches up, as cohesion catches up. Because like, you look at Spurs, like, have you seen Spurs play that badly in the last five years? I doubt it. Like, that was an all-time yeah, poor performance. Are they going to be that bad next week? No chance. So I think with the negatives, you can always paint them in a positive light, particularly with Havertz. Don't play him there. That really angered me, what Lampard did there, playing him on the right-hand side. But the positives, you can take something from. The negatives, I think you can expect to just gradually get better. And it better happen with Havertz, or we'll be talking about it every damn week, won't we? We'll just be complaining the whole time. This will become the Play Kai Havertz in the Centre podcast. All right, Dean, <laughs> what's your hot take this week? Well, Sam mentioned how bad Tottenham were there and all eyes on Tottenham between now and deadline day because Mourinho wants a new striker and this is like priority status right now. Uh, specifically, he really, really wants Danny Ings. He believes that um, he's the guy now that, that Tottenham should be going for. Um, if they do not sign a top level forward, I think we're looking at one of those moments where Mourinho throws his toys out the pram publicly and, and we start to see a kind of public face-off with Daniel Levy and they'll start going head-to-head -head and it'll probably lead eventually to, to Mourinho just getting out of there if, if results don't follow uh, the way that he would want them to come. But look, Tottenham have gone too long without backing up Kane. They've got this fixture pile-up straight away at the start of this season. Anyone that's seen Amazon Prime documentary on Tottenham knows that saw Harry Kane complaining when he got the injury last time around that it was because he was forced to play so many games in such a short space of time. I think it's ridiculous that Tottenham are being forced to do this, but they are. And if they're going to get through it, they have to sign someone. Now, the early signs are that Danny Ings actually isn't sure about this move. Um, he quite likes it at Southampton and he's not sure that joining a club like Tottenham is the environment that is going to get the best out of him. It's going to be very volatile, isn't it? You really don't know what you're getting, even if it's Mourinho that wants you. Um, situations can so quickly change and he's obviously been scarred a little bit by his time at Liverpool which kind of set back his career a little bit for, for various different reasons but it was a hard time for him and he's found a home now so I think that Ings has definitely got reservations about joining Tottenham they are really looking at Alexander Sorloth as well they, they like him but I'm told at the moment Daniel Levy is the one that's pulling away from that a little bit and is not looking to pursue the player um, they've also looking at Josh King. Josh King is somebody I wouldn't rule out at all. 15 million um, wouldn't be a bad signing. Is it the elite kind of level player that you need backing up Harry Kane? I'm not sure, but they need to get someone through the door. And I think whoever they get is, is going to really define what kind of season they can have because it's just so abundantly clear that they do need someone to help Harry Kane. Yeah, I mean, this has been a problem forever, right? We've started calling it the Harry Kane conundrum in that getting someone to back up a striker who is basically going to play every game when he's fit 
in a one striker system is an incredibly difficult thing to do, especially if you want an elite striker on the bench, Sam. Yeah, it's basically not possible it is where I've got to it, right? I mean, it's the, it's the Harry Kane conundrum. It's the Karen Benzema conundrum. It's, it's whatever you want to call it. It's when you've got such an established number nine, a world-class number nine, so entrenched. The system is built around him. Everything is built to feed him. Everyone becomes, comes to rely on him, knows his movements. And then there's somebody else there that you're then reluctant to bring in because the other person is so good. And then they get, you know, there's sharpness issues, there's fitness issues. They're essentially looking for another Fernando Llorente, but better. But then it's even harder to keep them happy. And Danny Ings would be silly to go to Tottenham when Harry Kane's around, to be honest. He's just managed to get himself into the England squad. Why would you, why would you capitalise on your momentum by doing that? I don't know. There are definitely options out there. One that I would always thought would, would work quite well is Arcadius Milik, who seems to be on the way at Napoli. But the last report I read was that he was going to go to Roma. Uh, Vedat Mariki at Fenerbahce might be just the right kind of guy. Cost of an international, very good, very Kane-esque, but not a big name. So I last saw him linked to Lazio. So it's in the right kind of ballpark. But man, this, this I don't envy anybody trying to find this player. But they've got to do it, right? Because the fixture pile up, Harry Kane, the games, man, it's not going to go well if they don't find someone. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I mean, Dean, is there noises outside of Ings? Like, it, it's one thing Mourinho wanting him. Um, but it's another thing, Danny Ings actually giving up a, a starting berth and you know another crack at the golden boot, you'd imagine, to, to sit on the bench behind Harry Kane. Uh, does he feel like there are other options here? Or I mean, I know you mentioned Josh King there, but that doesn't feel like quite the right move either. That's another uh, a player who plays wide, who plays through the middle, who can kind of do a, a variety of roles, where it does feel like they just want a proper nine to back Kane up, almost you know straight like for like. Yeah, I think that... The- Big problem Tottenham are going to have is that typically this will go down to the wire and they'll sign someone in the last week of the window, I would imagine. And the thing with Josh King is he's probably still going to be sat there available at a good price in that last week. That's why I think, like, don't rule that one out because it's a reasonably straightforward deal to do and Daniel Levy won't bulk at that price. They have looked at Milik. Um, that one's not totally dead, although, you know, Roma, the Roma one has pushed ahead. Um and maybe they, they find a way around the sawed off thing, but it's not looking likely right now. So they have they are the main options that they've been looking at. So it's gonna be an interesting one. But as with always, Tottenham in a transfer window, we're just gonna to have to wait it out until the last week. Absolutely. Right. I'm gonna move it on to the final hot take for the week, uh, which is mine. Uh, and something I loved was Le Classique in, in France. Oh, now yeah. I'd like to caveat this first and foremost by saying that this row around Neymar and, and what was said to him is categorically and fundamentally wrong and there is no room for racism in the game whatever happens and uh, until proven the other way around you stand behind Neymar and you assume that what you know he, he had a reason to lash out in the way that he did but let's take that away from it for a second and just look at the football what a game Dina I know you are a huge fan of this I mean drama everything, everything a classic should be. And we've kind of missed this for years because PSG have just battered Marseille every time they've played the classic for ages. And then this time round, obviously a, a weakened PSG team and one that's not operating at its full capacity, but Marseille were phenomenal. And, you know, the way they defended, the way they played the entire game out, the strategy, AVB got it completely right. Uh, and they just really turned up and it, it's nice to see a little bit of, of drama and uh, or I suppose the, the makings of a kind of title race in France which is which is something we haven't seen since Monaco really yeah I mean this wasn't really a football match it was more like a war I absolutely <laughs> loved it I loved it from the first whistle these two teams they hate each other anyway this is always a, a big match but for some reason they just took it to a new level um, and it was just kicking off from the very first moment Neymar obviously did end up getting a red card uh, for whatever reasons it turns out to be. Um, but he'd, be, he'd been storming around the pitch and Marseille clearly had targeted him and knew that they could get him sent off in that game. It took them probably longer than they imagined, but there were times he'd get the ball, start dribbling. They'd have literally four players chasing him, trying to side him down. I don't know if you lads ever used to play foul in football in the garden with your mates. It was a great game where you just, anything goes. You slide tackles, you can kick them, you can get them in a headlock. Anything goes. And um, Red card, what, like red card soccer on the PlayStation 1. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's what it was like. It was like there was no rules. The ref just seemed to be enjoying watching it all kick off. Um, I, I wasn't actually alive, despite what most people believe. I wasn't alive in the 70s. But when you see... Um, <laughs> 
throwbacks to those Chelsea Leeds games when they used to do like knee-high tackles and it was fine. That's kind of what this was like. Um, so yeah, it was very entertaining. A lot of red cards, even more yellow cards and a load of goals as well. But it was, look, it, was, it was just one of the most entertaining games I've genuinely seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Look, Sam, we're not going to cover League R today, basically because it's been going for for like three, four weeks already. We, you know, we're quite, we're quite deep into the League R season, uh, and this is going to be more of a preview. But it does look, and I know you've been keeping an eye on Lille especially, and it does look like this is going to be uh, one to watch in France, and a season that, you know, in a league that's often chastised and, and sidelined. I, I'm very excited about Ligue 1 this season. Yeah, I mean, it's been exciting because it's been the only thing on for a few weeks. So it tends to capture your attention in the way that the Bundesliga did when they returned. I was, I was all in on it. And then when the other leagues return, your interest kind of fades just a little bit. But for now, it's been great. I think when PSG opened the season with two losses, it immediately opens the door for something else, which is exactly what you need to spark something in this season. So you've got like Lille, Monaco, Rennes, each on seven points. Marseille at six from six. PSG, zero uh, from two games. So obviously that's a byproduct of the fact that they've got this ridiculous return for the Champions League. Loads of players unfit or unavailable. They're actually feeling really pinched in the transfer market as well. I mean, they've had to sign Alessandro Florenzi on loan with a view to buy to solve, in inverted commas, their right-back situation. So this is a fairly discombobulated approach to a season, I would say. The squad is in trouble. It's pretty top-heavy. It lacks the depth it needs. And this all creates the possibility of something happening in Liga. But am I just being super negative to be like, in the end... PSG will find their feet and be okay. I hope not. I hope we find something. I hope we find it's something to cling on to. It's happened last year. Yeah. It's happened with Bayern, really, didn't it? it just, and Bayern just hit, Bayern hit December and just, you know, they just then took over and went into Bayern mode. And you'd imagine PSG would do the same. But I yeah. think it would be good for the league not to necessarily not have PSG win it, just, but just to have there be a title race and there be a genuine kind of real battle for the crown in France. I think it would do, do wonders for for the league mm. itself and for people's interest in it because there's one thing and I think people felt this a bit with the Premier League towards the end of the last season it was like well it's done isn't it it was done when the game finished it was it was then when when Liverpool came back it was like well this is this is a procession now and it and it felt in many ways that the bottom of the league was more interesting than the top and I think mm. if there's a title race in France then that would do a long way to restoring a lot of people's kind of faith in league oh. yeah anyway Dean it's time for melon of the week it's time for melon of the week this week's Melon of the Week is Aurelio De Laurentiis. Well, we've heard that phrase probably used before to describe this man, but he's got the official award for the first time. Um, to be honest, this is absolutely unbelievable. So the Napoli president was feeling ill ahead of a meeting between every Serie A president. Look, I don't even know why they were meeting up. It should have been done on Zoom. But anyway, they were meeting up and he wasn't feeling very well. Put it down to the fish he'd eaten. They did a COVID test anyway, just in case, but it was like, nah, it must be that dodgy fish. Travels to the meeting, gets there with all the other Serie A club presidents, mixes with them all, sat there halfway through the meeting, gets a message on his phone. Yeah, hi, mate. Uh, your COVID test's back. Positive. He's sat there, mask hanging off his face. Um, then leaves the meeting, goes outside where there are media members waiting, speaks to them without a mask on. Doesn't tell him either what's just happened. And that's that. So oh, listen... If we see a, a, a spate of uh, coronavirus going through Italian football, that's the man to blame. It's absolutely unbelievable behaviour. He's the melon of all melons, and let's just hope it hasn't spread. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't sure where you were going with this. I was like, Napoli haven't done anything too weird in the transfer market. <laughs> and then as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I did read that story, actually. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's difficult to difficult to do to say anything else really i mean your melons in the post yeah i mean there was that german player other people. to the stands to fight one of the opposition supporters yeah uh, i did enjoy that yeah he was a contender um and there was that ps i can't what was the psg goalie that made his it was the young lad that played last week uh, martin bulka he was um he was close yeah he was a contender early doors i've got to say he was helped by the fact that we don't record until tuesdays yeah. dino do you know what uh, melon is in italian no it's melone <laughs> so <laughs> made that up or is that true i've just googled it so aurelio de laurentis is the melone of the week excellent yeah, fantastic right after the break we are going to be doing a deep dive into italy uh, but also into spain and germany as we look forward to three of the five big european leagues this season and give our previews as to how they're going to shake out we'll see you shortly <laughs> 
Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time to get on that Trans-European Express that I mentioned at the top of the show. And we are going to look through La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga today as we look forward. Now, we're going to start in Spain, mostly because it's already started in Spain. La Liga kicked off this weekend, albeit without some of its biggest clubs. No, no Real Madrid, no Barcelona, no Atleti, no Sevilla. So the, the season's underway, but sort of stopgap underway. And we're going to have a look at who's getting into the Champions League, who's winning the league, who's going to the Europa League, who's going to the Europa Conference League. And I can't tell you how much joy it brings me to say this. What a tournament this is going to be. Um, Sam, over to you. Let's get this started. Yeah, what a great preview. Starts one week into the season. Idiots. Okay, La Liga, winner. This felt like the obvious choice as we sit here today, but I don't consider it a safe one because they are so volatile season to season, particularly in La Liga. But I feel like I do have to go for Real Madrid here, having just ground out the win last season with the situation that their major rival find themselves in, which we'll get to in a moment. And the fact that well, they can't really make any signings because of the cash problems, but this young core of players that they've, they've built up, which they've added Martin Odegaard back into uh, for the first team this season. As long as they get better, Real Madrid get better. So that's Rodrigo, it's Vinicius, it's Odegaard, it's, 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 it's more of them. So I think with the state of the others, this feels like Madrid's title to lose. How do you guys feel? Yeah, no, it's, it's difficult, obviously. I mean, so much depends on what Barcelona look like in, in week yeah. two, but I just can't see them starting well. And if Madrid start well, then I think it's going to be difficult. They'll open up a gap that I think will be difficult to shut down. DJ? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really interested to see if Hazard is, is going to be playing. I mean, <laughs> I'm not really not sure what you're getting out of that sign from now. If, if Hazard manages to get through the season and is anything like the player we used to see at Chelsea, then absolutely, I think Real Madrid just are even better than last season, especially, you know, Odegaard and the young players emerging and feeling more settled. I think that they, they will win it, yeah. Um, Barcelona's just, it's just a mess and it's just impossible to predict. We, we said it all through Project Restart, we said it into the Champions League, you know. Well, they have got Messi, so we can't rule them out. Um, but Messi doesn't even want to be there. So what's his motivation at this stage? You know, I read a story yesterday saying, oh, Bartomeu's going to ask him to take a pay cut. Oh, yeah, nice one, mate. That's a really, <laughs> a really good idea. That, that'll get him revved up for the new season, won't it? Um, <laughs> look, I think Barcelona's best chance of, of being reinvigorated is the fact they're back in stripes. I think that's the only positive I can see leading into the new season is that they've got traditional kit back on. They've dressed like their 2011 former selves, so maybe yeah. they'll play like them. I'll be interested to see where you guys have got them because I've gone for Real Madrid one, Atletico in two. Oh. I think uh, like a, be a, be a better team I than Barca, I think. I wasn't that brave. And I think, I think I've gone for Barca in three. Atleti, I'm holding back on just because I don't think they're going to figure out that number nine situation. So for 38 games, I don't think that they will be able to win enough games consistently. But Barca, I mean, it is just anyone's guess. I mean, I don't know how this shapes out, but... I toyed with fourth because Sevilla are solid, but I've just gone for third because I'm a small coward. I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are a small, you're a, you're a big coward. Um, <laughs> but, but mostly, I think that Barca, I'm actually really intrigued now how this shakes out. Like, do, does Coutinho get, get the shot? Does Griezmann get the shot in the nine? Does Dembele feature this season? Can he stay healthy? Is Memphis coming in? Because mm. suddenly, if they all are, and, and Griezmann is going to play through the middle or rotate at least there with, with Memphis, who, who might play as a kind of reserve second striker. Um, I, I'm really, really interested as mm. how this shakes out. And then you add Ansu Fati into the equation. You Trincao. add Trincao into the equation. You, uh, and, and I think suddenly this side looks quite fun again. And mm. whether Kerman can harness that and, and actually get them ticking is a very, very different question. But I would not be so brave to suggest that there isn't enough talent in this side to finish second. And I actually think that if Kerman does get them ticking, things might actually work out. I mean, there's so many players here now with a point to prove, you know, and, and under old coaches, under old, that had been written out, the, the, the likes of Coutinho, the likes of Dembele, the likes of Griezmann even, who featured but didn't succeed. And now Suarez is gone or looks like he's on the way out. And there is that opening in, in the nine slot and it does look like they're going to play with the number 10 under Kerman. Suddenly I'm really intrigued as to how this looks. And look, I don't think it's Barcelona sorting themselves out long-term. I still think they have huge problems and I still think that the, the pipeline is in a really bad way. But if Kerman can reinvigorate the kind of lost souls on the outside and turn them into the players that they once were again, then I mean, there's still some side here. Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, the, the question for me is, I just, I just don't know how happy the place is. 
and you know an unhappy dressing room, unhappy squad, unhappy club is not necessarily conducive to the best football or the best results. So I'm holding back a little bit on there. Sounds like you guys have both got them in second behind Real Madrid, which I think is totally fair. I'm going for third. I think it just creeps into the play a little bit more and it costs them. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a reasonable shout. I just, yeah. I can't see that amount of talent still slipping up this many times. I think they'll just get it done more times than the other sides around them. Yeah, well, in fourth, I've got Sevilla. Um, I think that's a pretty solid shout. And I'll just go into the into the five, six, seven. Okay, before we do this, right, because there's there's a key element here in that actually fifth this season is a Europa League spot and sixth is a Europa Conference League spot, but the winner of the Copa del Rey also gets a Europa League group spot. So it would probably will shake out given the fact that a top six side normally wins the cup, that the seventh spot will be the conference league spot. And fifth and sixth will end up being Europa League spots. So, so just to kind of clarify that before we start. Yeah, and to clarify, we think that's what's going to happen, but we're still not really sure. <laughs> no, no, no but... that, that is what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Okay, I think, I think it's what's going to happen. Jack is absolutely certain. So I'll go with what Jack says. Uh, so five, six, seven European spots. Uh, we talked about it the other week with Zach Lowy. I'm quite impressed by what Villarreal have done in terms of squad building this summer, taking advantage of local rivals Valencia taking Unai Emery back to the country in which his intense tactical instructions can be understood by native speakers. And I think all of that shapes out into a fifth place finish. I'll go Sociedad in sixth. They may have lost Odegaard, but they have added David Silva, amazingly. And in seventh, I'm going to go Real Betis. I've got the faith in Manuel Pellegrini because it's a good squad and it just needs a proper manager to harness it. And I'm going to go for it this year. Betis in seventh. Our one to seven are exactly the same apart when we have Barcelona and Atletico the other way around, Sam. So I will, um, I will take that as, as good. Dean, I mean, have you got any big qualms here? No massive qualms, no. I mean, Valencia, the early season, uh, top of the table, lads. One yeah. game gone, Valencia top of the league. Um, we brought <laughs> them out after their, their disastrous summer. Um, so I, can't, I can't see that lasting. Let's put that there one way. Uh, one thing that, that did happen at the weekend, though, and I don't know if either of you saw this, was Villarreal got absolutely cut apart. And it was a, a lovely team goal. But they, they yeah. drew, and the actual, the actual goal they conceded, it was, it's a 20-pass move. But Villarreal all over the place. They're like fully chasing each other around, like absolutely chasing shadows and, and can't get near it. And I, I did think that was interesting. And there was a lot of people on Arsenal Twitter being like, oh, thank God Emery is gone. Now, I think this will shake out. I think it will, you know, be addressed by the fact that over the course of the season, Unai Emery's tactics will make more sense. Mm. But I did think it was interesting. But also that move was so slick. Is it, is it VRL's problem or was it just brilliant? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't so, know. So one week, it's only it's one week. It's, it's Huesca. Like, yeah. you know, it is one of those <laughs> things. It's not, it's not like they've been absolutely played through by, by a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or a Sevilla. Yeah. They, um, they were played, every, played apart by Huesca. But every, everyone every can play. Can, everyone yeah, can, everyone play can produce that kind of thing. Oh, right. But uh, speaking of Valencia briefly, though, I'm going to skip down to the, my breakout star because it's Lee Kang in at Valencia. So... Oh. With every situation like this with Valencia, where we do expect them to have some tough times because it's an unhappy place and they've lost a lot of stars, some people are going to have to fill in. And Lee Kangin has been a player that for the last 12 months feels like he's been a bit underutilized, but he does have a real temper on him. So when he does get to play, sometimes he gets red carded. So that's been a bit of a problem. But we hope for some maturation from the young South Korean midfielder. And he is a very, very fun player to watch. If you catch Valencia this season, look out for Lee Kangin, an amazing dribbler. He's got this amazing agility. and the way he uses his body to deceive markers and create space and the way he uses his first touch to move into space and change the direction and put himself on the front foot and defender on the back foot, it's amazing. And it means that he can play in the tightest of spaces and somehow wriggle out with the ball. It's such a good watch. And with Ferran Torres gone, they need someone to look to for some creative impetus. And I think it will be Lee Kang in season to shine, even if Valencia don't quite go out as well. So look out for him as a breakout. In, who do you stick well, as your breakout star? Well, I took another Valencia player, actually. And, and the main reason I did it is because he kind of did break out at the weekend. Um, Yunus Musa. Mm. Um, he obviously um, was at Arsenal before. Arsenal released him. Um, they and do he that, don't in. they? They, they do, do that, that a lot. And <laughs> Valencia picked him up. And Javi Grazzi obviously has seen something in this lad. He, he played him at the weekend, makes his, his debut. He's um, 17 plays in midfield, played 88 minutes 
And it's the only actually, it's the only La Liga game I actually watched at the weekend, and it was great. To be fair, he was he was really really good, and I think that um, it could be one of those players that Arsenal end up regretting um, letting go because at Valencia, as we as I said before, Sam's talked about how many players they've let go and what a shambles that is. Well, the only good thing that can come of that is it opens the door to to young talent, and um, that that's one thing that they will grab hold of. Obviously, they've still got a couple of. Um, experienced heads around that squad, but they're going to have to make have a balancing act. And I think that Eunice Musa is one of the names that that's going to we're going to be hearing a lot of. Interesting as well. I mean, he was born in New York, wasn't he? He's, he's represented England. I think he was also uh, eligible to represent Italy. Somebody else as well. I'm not even who was the other one. He was uh, <laughs> Ghana. They could represent USA, Ghana, Italy, England. He's playing in Spain. I mean, wow, only <laughs> seventeen. Do you, know, yeah. do you know who else was really good in that game? Yeah. Lee, Lee Kang-in. No, he was. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, he was he's 17 and I, they, they threw him in. I didn't expect him to play. So um, No, fair play. Fair enough. I like yeah. it. I like it. It's Jack, who have you got? Star. I mean, you can't do more than just pick the lad that broke out at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you can't do much more than that. I mean, I've got a couple here. I mean, I tweeted at the weekend that I'm back on the Diego Lainez hype train uh, yeah. after his three-minute cameo where he won two corners, provided the dummy run, and basically created the Betis goal. Um, yeah. in, in the space of 180 seconds, not sure anyone's ever had a better cameo it it was really (laughs) genuinely very very impressive um but i'm also very hot uh, on someone who's not well trincao obviously at at barcelona i'm intrigued by but i'm just not sure how many minutes he's going to get i think if he gets the opportunities he will take them i think he's that good i I really really enjoyed watching him over the second half of last season at braga um but i think that he might not get the opportunity. So I'm actually going to go with someone a lot older, actually, um, a 28-year-old. But his first season in La Liga, um, just signed by Sevilla, uh, Marcus Acuna from Sporting CP. Oh, now, yeah. Marcus Acuna has been quietly very, very good in Lisbon for a long time. Uh, and I'm surprised it's taken this long for someone to sign him. But I think he will be a revelation there. He, he loves dribbling. He loves getting forward. Also very defensively sound. Just really glad he's not wearing the number nine shirt anymore because he did that uh, at left back quite a lot. And it really wound me up uh, at Sporting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I'm really, really hot on him. I think he's a, a lovely player and I think he will, he will fit in beautifully there where, where Regulon's left. So yeah, I, I think Acuna's going to have an incredible season and I'm tipping him to be my quiet star. I like it. I like it. Tipping a 28-year-old as a breakout star is, is pretty impressive, but I like the logic. I think it's fair. Okay. Um, golden boot and we will move on to Italy. Messi, next. Messi. I'm going Messi. I was gonna. I was genuinely gonna say Antoine Griezmann, but I'm just gonna say Messi and go on with it. No, it's Martin Brathwaite. Yeah, it's probably Martin Brathwaite. Right. Let's take things over to Italy, uh, where Serie A and Sam. We've talked about a little bit on other things. You think there's going to be a new winner? I do. I do. We cover this weekly now, so I'll keep it short again. I think Inter Milan are going to win the Scudetto. I think it's their time. Conte sticking around. They've built an incredible team for him. They've given him pretty much everything he's asked for. He's got an incredible stable of midfielders, um, arguably one of the best in, in Serie A. He's got Hakimi. He's got four strikers that he can call. He's got everything. They've given him absolutely everything, and he and they will repay him. Well, he will replay them, them being the board, with a Scudetto. And it'd be the first time uh, since, what, 2011? Milan won it in 2011, I think. Um, So it's going to be, it's uh, it's been a long time since we saw the Scudetto outside of Turin. And I think it's going to be the season. Okay. All right. Well, who have you got as the rest of your top four? Uh, Well, Juve into second. I mean, I'm not expecting great things from Juve, to be honest, this season. I I know Pirlo is a massive question mark, but I've been really confused by their transfer business for the most part, um, very confused by the age profile and the style of player that they've been pursuing. Pirlo seems to say one thing, we want to play high-pressing, aggressive football. Then they seem to agree some kind of £200,000 a week, three-year deal with an ageing, injured Luis Suarez who can barely run anymore. So I don't know what to feel about that, I, but I am very confused. And I think with Inter's rise and Juve's slight fall, I think it's just the end of a cycle and I think they'll probably end up second. And I'm going to go for double Milan. I'm going to go for Milan in third, which is super bold again, I know. But you know how hot I am on this Milan side. Mm-hmm. I predicted they win a trophy in my predictions for the season. And obviously, they don't have what it takes to, to really tussle for the title, I don't think. But they've got the quality, the depth, the skill, the attitude as well, and the cohesion. So loving that. I just went for Atalanta in fourth because I love them. Um, but honestly, I found this whole thing really hard to sort between sort of third and seventh. I was like, oh. 
this could go with anyone any one of several ways. I felt really felt it's really difficult to figure this one out. Okay. Um Dame, do you have any qualms with the with the top four? Or yeah. I mean assume you have I assume you have major issues with this to be honest. Well yeah, Juventus are gonna win it. Um I just think I they won't done. win it, but they have Their to be the favourite. They've no. got to be the favourite. They've they just won it nine times in a row. They've got Ronaldo and Dybala up front. They've got Bonucci, Chiellini. They've got Kulusevski breaking through as the emerging star. They've got one of the greatest midfielders of all time, the club legend coming into the dugout instead of Sarri to ignite new passion into the side, Pirlo. And yes, he's got no experience, but come on, how bad can he be? I mean, look at the squad he's got to pick from. And if he's, you know, they, it's not going to be the same style of football that Sarri was trying to put on. They'll have a different freedom there. I just think it's impossible not to make Juve the favourites. Um, I, I do think that the Inter definitely need to make more of a challenge of it, without doubt. And I think that they will, you know, got to presume that this is the last time Conte is going to bother trying with Inter Milan. Um, it, it's going to be his last season. We thought it was going to be the case a couple of months ago, but he's staying. So if he's seeing it out, then he's obviously got big plans to, to push for this. Um, but You know that weird theory on Instagram comments that, but Bleach Report is being paid off by Barcelona for positive PR. I'm starting to wonder if they've missing the mark and actually it's Juventus are paying Dean. because so he spent all of last season tipping them to win the Champions League despite mounting evidence against him. And now he's ignoring an obvious, an obvious slide in performance levels and an obvious changing of the guard in waiting and still picking Juve as the heavy favourites for Serie A. We need to have a chat about how sporting director Beppe Marotta has got Dean Jones on the payroll. And we never figured it out until right now. I'd be really sad if Dean's on the payroll and he's never shared it with us. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> how, do you, how do you think I bought this house? <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, Dean, the rest of your top four shaking out? I mean, it's Juve into um, AC Milan. I don't know if they'll be third or fourth. Um, but I do think that, that this is their breakthrough year. You know, we're going we're gonna to see finally a Milan team that's capable of getting back to greatness. And I, I've gone for Napoli in there as well. Oh, um, I went ooh. for Napoli in seventh. I just can't get, I can't get my head around them. But they could be anything, I think. It, Napoli... could, it could be anything. And that's why I've put them in the top four. Because as it stands at the moment, I look at their squad and, you know, well, they've still got Kula Bali and they, they've got so many forward options to choose from. And if, if they, they do all come together, then it genuinely is one of the most exciting teams to watch still. So. Mm. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and say that they will make it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that, for me, that leaves Lazio in fifth and Roma in sixth. And again, it felt very difficult to, to figure these out. I think Lazio were an absolutely fair shout for the top four at the expense of Milan or Atalanta. I think Roma and Napoli are probably in that tier below. Roma are solid, but I don't think I've got much better. I've just lost Zaniolo again, which is an absolute killer. Lazio, I'll be honest, that post-lockdown form kind of spooked me. It kind of spooked me and I found it difficult to have faith in a top four push um, based on that, really, which may be fair, may not be fair. But I also don't think Immobile is going to get, he'll be, he'll have 10 fewer goals at least next season. than. Was he not on pens? Well, no, it'd be 20 fewer if he wasn't on pens. <laughs> yeah, 20 fewer if not on pens. So uh, I'm going to go for maximum goals he can score is 26 <laughs> rather than 36. Wow. I think, it, I think they slope off a little bit. Uh, but as I said, this one, this one felt tough. I think they slope off a lot. I've taken them out of the top seven. Oh, because you put Fiorentina in, haven't you? you I have put Fiorentina in seventh. I mean, uh, I just, look, I tweeted about this yesterday, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sat there in a Fiorentina shirt. I yeah. am sat here in a Fiorentina shirt. That is true also. But I think a midfield six of Castrovilli, Amrabat, Pulgar, Alfred Duncan, Giacomo Bonaventura and Borja Valero is good enough to get top, to top, uh, top seven. I, I really do. And I think that if you put in front of that, the, the kind of... Chiesa, Kwame, Vlaovic partnership, and at a defence which is perfectly capable, then you have a contender here. I think that midfield has been where it's been really weak. And bringing back in Bonaventura, who's got a point to prove, you know, alongside Castrovilli, who I still think is probably you know, in the best three midfield talents in, in Italy right now, and Borja Valero, I'm, I'm huge on this. I think this is a big, big season for Laviola. I think it's. I think all the talent is there. I like almost all the players, and I guess I'm just. I hold a grudge because Ricardo Sotil broke my sunglasses last summer, and he hasn't paid me back. He hasn't so, played either, which is no, uh, which is good. No. I just. I'm that's because really I, I DM the manager and said what had happened. Payroll. Yeah, <laughs> I like it a lot. 
I like it a lot. I, I just think that they've gone about their business really quietly and kind of without anyone noticing and just picked up some very, very sensible purchases. You know, Bonaventura is a very good player who has yeah. been kind of just left on the side, you know, at Milan. And, and then basically is, is now looking to push back in. He's still not that old. You know, and I think has a huge, huge point to prove. I think those kind of players with the experience in the league, et cetera, et cetera, is mm. very, very useful to have. So I think one, I have... one more year of development for Chiesa is huge. As, and um, I'd imagine that it's Ribery back. Is he Ribery's fit? Back. I mean, because you lost him yeah. for ages last season. He, he was out for months. And you look good with him in, him and Chiesa together. Yeah, and I think Kwame came in and, and, and did really well. Uh, I think uh, I really like Alfred Duncan in the middle. I think he, he's really yeah. useful. And Vlavic had a good season. Yeah, uh, did, I think yeah. there's plenty to rotate here for Fiorentina. And I think that they are actually a deeper side. I, I think Lazio are aging. I think we saw that post-lockdown, you know, that they really struggled to reignite that form. And I, I think given that, you know, a Serbi's there. He's not massively been replaced. He's going to be, you know, getting older. And he was old already. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. This isn't he's one of those Fernandinho scenarios, is it? Remember? He's, yeah, he's aging faster than... No, he's not. He's just he started <laughs> old and he's, and he's getting older. Um, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, I'm, I, I think Lazio fall away. I, I really do. I think they were, they were kind of running on empty they were running on fumes in so many so many ways last season it was basically just like they'd hit a run and as soon as the run stopped you saw exactly what happened they fell apart they stopped being useful people found them out and i think the same will happen this year i have them finishing eight fair enough fair enough fair enough well let's move on to breakouts then let's 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 bring a ray of sunshine through these stormy clouds that jack has just brought on this podcast with regards to lazio's prospects for the season i have gone for sebastiano esposito from nice. inter milan and i will be honest i really struggled to pick a breakout star for seria um i don't watch it as much as la liga and the premier league and, and things like that so naturally the the, the knowledge is about 10 percent less but also just didn't seem to be that many in breakout positions but i settled on esposito it does depend on what kind of mood Antonio Conte wakes up in on the day. Uh, but I think he's the fourth forward for Inter Milan with Lautaro and Lukaku as, as the front pairing. And then the, re, the, the rotational pair is Alexis and Esposito. And he got a few looks at the end of last season and he looks good. And at youth level, we saw it as well. He's a striker with great agility and speed and with a real killer instinct and an ease in front of goal with a variety of finishes, takes a mean penalty. I think there's a chance that he gets sort of 10, 15 minutes off the bench in quite a lot of league games where the game is already done and he gets to pile on the misery and with the fixture pile up, he gets his options as well. He, get, he, gets, he gets to work into that rotation. He's through the academy. There's a chance here for Inter to build around a real homegrown hero because Alexis and Lautaro particularly are not going to be around forever, as we know, due to different reasons. And Esposito, the development of him is actually, I think, really important to the club. And I think Conte will take that seriously. And I think we'll see him rise this season. Dean, who have you got? Well, I've got someone that you two know very well, but I think the rest of the world and a general football fan doesn't yet. So I'm going with Victor Ozimen. Uh, he's 21 mm. and he's about to kind of make that leap from a player that is kind of flying under the radar of your average fan. But if you watch enough football, then you know that this guy is absolutely going to be a superstar. Going from Lille to Napoli. Um, and what made me laugh, actually, I saw a quote that, that made me really want to pick him even more for this breakout star was because Tottenham had interest in, in signing Aussie men and, and Mourinho was asked about it. And he said, well, the point is that it's not me who convinces a, an attacker to join, it's the attacker who convinces me. If the striker is afraid of coming to Tottenham and is afraid of competition, then I don't want him. So it's not up to me. It's no wonder that Danny Ings isn't that keen on the move, is it? <laughs> yes, he says... If he says, I don't want to go there because I don't want to be on a team where we have Harry Kane, Sonny, Lamella, Lucas Moura, then I don't want to go on, on that team. And I say goodbye. Well, this is what I would say to Mourinho. Not only did Ozzyman turn down Tottenham, he's so scared of competition that he joined a Napoli team whose list of forwards includes Insigne, Lozano, Politano, uh, Milik, Mertens, uh, Patania, Lorente. I mean, he's joining a team that's got far better options than actually Tottenham have got. So um, I throw that fear back in Mourinho's face and I say that Aussie men's got extra motivation to just score so many goals. This, this was a move that we all agreed, I think, when he made it, that was a good step for him. I'm glad he didn't come to England purely because of people that, like the uh, Chelsea fans that are questioning Havertz already and people like Mourinho that don't deserve him. Yeah, yeah. I think Ozymane's a really nice fit for Serie A in particular. I think his spinning behind into the channel pressing style is 
pretty similar to Jamie Vardy's and pretty similar to Chiro Immobile, actually, to be really honest. And if you've just watched Immobile score 36 goals in the league and you think, yeah, I could probably do that too. So I, I would back Aussie men to hit, to hit the 20 mark in all competitions for Napoli this season. I think the, the fee that was paid, which is, it was a hell of a lot, wasn't it? It ended up about 80 million. Probably a touch too much, but you probably lot, say yeah. that about, you, you say that about most transfers, to be fair. Especially um, they come from Lille. Yeah, I think this is going to be. Uh, I think this is going to be a good one, Dean. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to move to a defender because, Ooh. and I'm also not going to pick someone old this year uh, okay. in in Italy. Uh, I'm going for a man who's just about to sign for Roma. It looks like, uh, and will be replacing Chris Smalling, who now looks like he might not be on his way to Roma. And it's Marash Kumbula, who kind of broke out a little bit at mm. Hellas Verona last year. Um, he's a centre back. He's six foot one, twenty years old, Albanian. And I think he is going to be a superstar. He is huge. Um, <laughs> but also, on top of that, he has that kind of, I don't know, already looks so battle-hardened. He looks so ready to take on almost anyone. And we saw Verona last year outperform themselves, especially up to, up to lockdown. And so much it was based around the fact that they had this kind of rearguard anchor in Mirage Kambula. And he was just exceptional uh, for them you know across the course of the season I really really enjoyed watching him and you know they're not a particularly pretty side to watch Hellas and they don't you know they don't like watching them easy but it was you know he has this kind of really really aggressive defensive style which is reminiscent of kind of an old school centre-back and yet you know still comfortable making a pass he um you know strolls out of the, uh, the defensive line in in many ways he sort of just sort of looks up and and drives in a, in a way that we saw Dio Upamecano do in the Champions League and everyone got very excited about the fact that he steps out and uh, Kambula does the same but he's six foot one and, and looks great graceful doing it it's really bizarre um but he's about to sign for Roma and I really do think that he will be going for big big money in the next couple of years yeah um, I saw him linked to Inter Milan most of the summer as well so I mean I haven't seen much of Kumbula I'd say the only thing you really need not to not to oversimplify the whole thing because obviously you need more than this but the key point if you play centre-back for Roma under Fonseca is you need to be fast because they play with a very high line and they have to run back into the channel and they have to do a lot of recovery sprints. And that's why Smalling ultimately proved to be such a success because he's got a lot of mobility to him. So if Kambula can run, he will be absolutely fine, is all I would say there. Yeah, I mean, he's not the fastest person in the world. I'll give you that for free, but he is he is very, very good. And he, he reads the game quite well and, and he's able to make those tackles. He's good in the air, good on the floor. Um, yeah, I think he's just got it all. And I think we're looking at someone who in, in three or four years is being considered as one of the best centre-backs in the world. Nice, nice. But then uh, upwards from Italy. Uh, no, golden over. boot. Oh, no. Ronaldo, next. <laughs> Lukaku, Lukaku, next. <laughs> You've just had Inter winning the title. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter. As The worse Juve get, and by the time it gets to like um, April, March, and they have, they're, they're going to go trophyless, right? And Dean's PR campaign is in tatters. Ronaldo will begin to make it all about him and, and make sure that he has a successful season in spite of the team. And he will win the golden boot because he'll take 100 shots a game. Okay. Oh, my right. God. You're disrespecting Juve more than you disrespect Kimpembe. And this is getting crazy, man. <laughs> I have Lukaku as the golden boot winner. And I will stand by that. Right. Upwards to Germany, uh, where the top seven were a, a tricky ask, Sam. I found this one very, very hard. Yeah, tough one. So I went super boring. I took last year's top four and kept it the same. I mean, <laughs> I'm really sorry, but obviously you're not going to catch me predicting a different team to win the title. I think we can no. all agree that Bayern are reigning European champions close to perfect. You never know what can happen because look at what happened to them last season and how much better they got suddenly. But honestly, they're so good that even if they lose Thiago, they'll storm it because they proved to be able to play so well and beat anybody even without him. That's how good they are. That's how well run they are. So that's a bit boring. And then Dortmund in second place. Yeah, still got Sancho. They've got Haaland. I mean, I don't see a reason to bring them down. Leipzig have lost Timo Werner. Huang Hee Chan's a nice replacement, but I don't think you can make that kind of replacement and leapfrog a team like Dortmund. And then I went for Gladbach in fourth because, well, you know, the, the obvious contenders here, like someone like Leverkusen, they've lost Kai Havertz. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not going to catch me saying Leverkusen are going to go one better than last year, having lost their best player. That's just, 
you know, Patrick Schick is arriving in place of Kevin Vollens. These are not moves that propel Leverkusen up the table. These are moves that see them looking downwards, to be honest with you. And I've actually put them in sixth place. I've gone for someone else in fifth. But I just want to hear you, you guys top four first before we go there. I have the same four, but I have Gladbach finishing ahead of Leipzig this season. Mm, um, oh. I think losing Timo Werner is huge. And I think that Gladbach, you know, mostly, mostly going to be unchanged in, in so many ways. And I think there's, there's quite a lot here for them to work with. So, so currently, with what's come, you know, they're, they're very much as they were in, in so many ways. And I think that ultimately, they're going to be very, very useful. Again, I have them ahead uh, of Leipzig. I like I, it. I, I'm not so sure about Leipzig. I've, I've heard a few people now saying, oh, Leipzig are going to start to fall away and stuff. And I've heard, and I think it's important to remember that they haven't actually signed their replacement yet. And I know I spoke about Alexander Soloth earlier and how Tottenham are trying to sign him. Well, he's probably going to actually join RB Leipzig. And if that's the case, then I think it might change everybody's thinking just a little bit because that's the perfect league for him to get a hat full of goals. And I, I'm not sure he'd get as many as Haaland, but I don't think he would be too far off if he manages to take to the league nicely. They signed He Chang Huan to, to replace Werner. Yeah. No? This, is, this is literally well, what he's been brought in for. Well, hang on. So he would be the wide forward. And then they obviously they played and Werner he, off the left a lot. So that would be Huang. And then they've lost Schick because he was only on loan, right? So I'm guessing that Serlot is Schick. Yeah, they're, they're, signing, signing, they're trying to sign us. I, I need to, we, it's time to ask the question. If Tottenham want Alexander Serlot, if RB Leipzig want Alexander Serlot, what happened um, at Crystal Palace? <laughs> what, what, what the hell is going on? I don't know, mate. I was asking, I thought, this exact same thing when I was speaking to the guy that was telling me about Sorloth and I was like but why is he a Palace player on loan at Trabzonspor if these two clubs want him like what's going on like how does that work um and anyway to carry on that the the Leipzig thing I, the fact they've kept Upa Meccano for now I think it's massive I, I didn't think he'd stick around I thought he'd be gone by now he stayed so so that helps them and, and obviously there's the whole Nagelsmann factor and you know does Favre is this Favre's last year at Dortmund probably to be honest they haven't yeah. there's no signs of him getting a new contract there um will they have half an eye on Nagelsmann maybe I mean there's no way Leipzig are going to get let that happen easily but I could quite easily see them start to glance in his direction if, if they're competing. So I think there's going to be a real, I think it's going to be a battle between Dortmund and Leipzig for second and third. And I don't, I don't think they're going to be slipping down the table. I mean, if Nagelsmann ends up at Dortmund end of the year, that just means that our good friend Jesse Marsh takes the Leipzig job, doesn't it? So everybody wins. We're all winners here. Everybody wins. For the record, I've got Wolfsburg in fifth. Have oh. you? See, I had yeah. them in sixth. I'm, in, I, I, I'm interested though, because I like this. Yeah, I just, I just, I think it's a case of I really like all of their players. Like every time I watch them, I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a really good holding midfield pair they've got in Maxi Arnold and Xavier Schlager. And then I, oh, I like those fullbacks, those four Roussillon and Babu. Oh, they're really good. And then the goalkeeper Castells, I think he's one of the most underrated goalkeepers in the world. And I, so every, I've got to keep working through the, the the team. I'm like, oh, I like him. Oh, I like him. Oh, I'm going to put them fifth. I like him. That's basically that was the that's inside the hive mind of Sam Ty preparing for this pod. Oh, I like him. He's good. Let's put him fifth. I, I've put Leverkusen above them, but I do like. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do like this. And I didn't um, really know where to go in seventh, so I put her to Berlin because I've got loads of money. I went Leverkusen fifth, Wolfsburg sixth, and Frankfurt in seventh. Sam, um, I think they're they're slowly slowly finding their way a little bit again. Now I don't think they're going to be making any deep runs into into competitions in the way that we saw a couple of years back. Um, but they do seem to quietly be going about their business again, and uh, I, I think they will do better. Um, I like that they've brought Andre Silver in. I think he will do fine. I like Steven Zuber. I think that's a really sensible signing from Hoffenheim. Um, and again, like you know, aside from Gasanovic, they haven't really lost anyone. So it just all feels like they're moving back in the right direction. Uh, and I think that on the back of that, they're, they're probably going to sneak seventh. Fair enough. I like it. I couldn't bring myself to do it because I don't trust them, but I like it. All right. Well, We've got a golden boot and a breakout star, and then uh, then we're coming to the end of this episode. So, who have you gone for uh, leading the scoring charts? Uh, I went for Haaland. <laughs> Did, Did you? you? Did yeah. You? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 here for it. To be fair, it's bold, yeah. but I like I, it. I wrote Lewandowski down and just scowled and deleted it and put Haaland. Oh. I just I just wanted to live a more kind of exotic life, you know, oh. and just not and just not just pick Bayern to win it, pick Lewandowski to win the golden bit. I mean, obviously he's gonna score like four hundred goals. So Haaland's gonna have to score quite a lot as well. But I mean, let's not doubt ourselves here. Haaland is clearly capable of scoring one goal per game. 
And if I'm going to try and rationalize this anyway, I would say that despite the presence of, of course, Jaden Sancho still there and, and Marco Royce returning and, uh, and players like Julian Brandt, like Haaland is still the obvious and clear focal point of this entire Dortmund attack and the goals are coming through him, right? And with Bayern Munich, Lewandowski will bag one per game in 34 consecutive 6-0 wins. But we saw in the Champions League that they can win big, they can rack up huge score lines, and he doesn't have to contribute on the score sheet. Of course he's involved. He's an elite forward. But they, he, they are not as reliant on him as Dortmund are on Erling Haaland. So I decided to go for the guy who maybe has the edge in terms of focal point and importance in the forward line. And of course, we know that these two guys are goal-scoring machines, so it's going to be one of them, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Dean, I assume you've got Lewandowski. Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I mean, Fair enough. It's, it's, it's not, there's not too much to discuss. The man. Uh, you don't machine. have to justify that. He's probably the best player, you know, probably the best player in the world this year. And, and we've, yeah. we've spoken about the fact that if there was a Ballon d'Or, he, he probably would have won it. Mm. So, so, you know, it's difficult to argue with that. But I, I do like your thinking, Sam. Um, but who have you gone for as a, as a breakout? I went for Florian Wirtz at Leverkusen. Nice, nice. Like yeah, it. youngest ever goal scorer in Bundesliga history, 17 years and 34 days. Leverkusen, we discussed, have lost Kai Havertz. They've lost Kevin Volland. Look, they might be bringing in the odd one or two here, but there is room for a very talented young forward or winger or attacking midfielder to come into this fold. And we know Leverkusen are very good at nurturing these players, giving them chances. We saw it with Havertz. Uh, we saw it with Julian Brandt before that, and we're seeing it right now with Musa Diaby. And Wurtz has obviously caught the attention of the of the management and and, and the boss, Peter Boss. So I think he's a he's a good player. I think he's a good goal scoring winger. He'll get himself into good positions. He'll be given the chances. And with the pedigree of youngest ever Bundesliga goal scorer already behind him, I've sort of Dean Jonesed it. I've picked a player that has sort of already broken out. So I'm hedging my bets. But Wurtz, I think, will have a good season. He'll get the chances. Yeah, I think you will get the opportunities. Dean, who have you gone for? Well, I wanted to pick one of the US lads um, because so many of our audience, obviously, are from there. They all love Bundesliga. And I weighed it up and I had to go with the most obvious one, which is Gio Reyna, I think. Um, 17, we know what he's capable of. We know this lad's going to be a brilliant footballer for the next 15 years, if all goes well injury-wise. And this is it. This is he's ready for his breakout season. He's he's kind of got settled over the past year. Pre-season, he's been scoring. He scored in a cup game the other day. Okay, it was a deflected free kick, but um, <laughs> I um, spoke to somebody in Germany that covers Dortmund, and they're like, he just seems to have an assurance about him and a confidence now, um, and doesn't seem like the kid who's just landed in a a completely new environment and is having to get to grips with the reality of his his new life. Um, he seems like okay, I'm ready for this. And I think that we've seen how well Dortmund do at bridging that gap between youth and and men's football. And there's no better place for him to develop. Um, I kind of, one of the reasons I hope Sancho stays is because I think that, I think Gio could at least learn from him. But if Sancho goes, then even more chance he's going to be playing. So, yeah, Gio Reyna for me, I think um, this is his time. Yeah, Jack, please tell me you've gone for Jude Bellingham, please. I have, <laughs> I have gone for Jude Bellingham, yeah. Um, there was a couple, though, at Dortmund that I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about Matteo More potentially mm. taking Ashraf Hakimi's spot. Obviously, he's gone off to Inter and there's a huge opportunity for him. 20-year-old Spanish right-back came through at, at La Masia. So he's got a huge year ahead of him, I think. Um, I'm also pretty hot on Rainier. I, I know you are too, Sam. And also something that intrigued me is that Yusuf Makoko has been brought into the senior setup at Dortmund this year. 16 years old, he will be very shortly. Um, he's going to play, obviously, as a, as a backup to, to Erling Haaland, who, who's hardly you know, in, the, in the prime of his life himself. But 15 years old, being brought into the senior setup is, is unbelievable. And I'm just really intrigued as to what he's going to bring to the table uh, this year. But it's hard to look past Jude Bellingham, isn't it? Championship play, young player of the year last year, uh, following the path that Jaden Sancho carved and, and joining an elite European side. More than happy to give game time to young stars that are good enough. And let's be frank, Jude Bellingham is more than good enough. He's an explosive centre midfielder who's quite happy playing wide, quite happily breaking up play, quite happy stepping past a man. He's so dynamic. Uh, and I think the reports coming out of, Be uh, of Dortmund already about Bellingham uh, are testament to just how good he is a player. Um, he's going right, right to the very top. Uh, and it's very much just sort of all eyes on Dortmund until, until he gets there, really. So uh, it's hard to look past him. I'm really excited for what Jude can achieve uh, over, over in Germany. And I, I really do think we're looking at Sancho-esque 
rise to the top table here. Like it, within a year, I think we're going to be looking at clubs trying to buy back Jude Bellingham for enormous fees. I think Birmingham City will be surprised to hear he scored on his debut at the weekend because they retired a shirt. They thought he was dead. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to make a joke. But Dortmund made a joke about it on their <laughs> social channels. They were like, oh, oh, well on his way to having his shirt retired or something. It was like, scored in his first game, well on his way to retiring the shirt. And you're like, oh, geez. Um, <laughs> but we, we talked about that at depth. We don't need to go back into it. But yeah, I think Jude Bellingham is going to be an absolute superstar. And, uh, you know, 23 million pounds for him means that it's quite hard to predict him as a breakout star. Like, you kind of have to be a breakout star if you're spending 25 million on a 17-year-old. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there's a couple of doormen. Matteo More is, is someone I've really, really got eyes on. I like the fact that we've got a kind of wonder kid breakout off between you two based on the same club. It's Rayner versus Jude mm-hmm. Bellingham. And on Mori, the Spanish youth teams from a couple of years ago, the ones that the only team really that were able to give England's golden crop of Foden and Sancho Co any problems at all was the crop that had Ferran Torres and Matteo Mori on the right flank. And we struggled with that combination. We've seen Ferran Torres move to Man City off the back of a great breakout season with Valencia. And Mori has it in him to do a similar thing. So I love that from you. You know he's going to be trusted this year because he's been given the number two shirt. Perfect. And that is, that is such, a, such a statement from, from Dortmund. It's such a statement from him being like, by the way, I'm the starting right back now. Hi. Yeah. Um, Tom, Thomas Menio, who are you? Never yeah, exactly. He's never heard of it. So yeah, there's um, <laughs> moments to come for Matteo, I think. Um, and that is pretty much it for us this week. We have been on a quick fire journey through through Europe and uh, it's been lots of fun. All that's left for me really to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I certainly have. And I hope you lot listening have really enjoyed yourselves as well. We'll be back next week, gang. And uh, we'll have some big news for you shortly. We're, uh, we're waiting on some things to be confirmed. But uh, be aware that the rank squad and, and the journey it is on its way to changing. We'll be back soon with, with more news. But keep an eye on us. See you soon. Bye-bye.